Well, hey, we're going to get into our, our third message here on uh, being a world changer. First week, we spoke about having the heart of a world changer, and we recognized that, man, that's got to be the starting point that we see the world through God's eyes. Not only that we see it through His eyes, but we need to continue to live in this place where we carry His heart and His compassion, because that's going to then give us His priority and that's going to keep us on point with him. And then, of course, last week, week number two, we said, and, be, and before we get into anything else about seeing, you know, the world changed for Christ, uh, we, we know that God works on the earth through prayer and that God wants his people to be people of prayer. So what we're going to move into this week, uh, you know, I was going to call this practical tips for changing the world, but instead I wanted to go with something a little more fun. So we're going to call this Pastor Jim's Field Guide for Changing the World. It's just a little more fun, you know? And, and I will say that today is going to be over two parts. So we're going to wrap this World Changers series up next week, but next week will be Field Guide Part 2. But basically for the minutes that we're together, we want to be looking at just some practical tips. We're actually going to look at three different things uh, to just get us started as we catch God's heart. He, how many know, church, He doesn't want us to leave the world the way we found it. Right? He wants his kingdom to advance. You know, occupy till I come is, is God's heart. And, and that's, you know, a heart for love and salvation and hope and healing for the world around us. So, you, you know, I want to this morning in the, these things that we look at, demystify a little bit the idea of being a world changer in God's hands, being a world changer for the Lord. Uh, I want to get intensely practical. You know, when we think of world changers, we might think, you know, as we saw just a minute ago, somebody like a, a Harriet Tubman. We might be thinking of Mother Teresa, uh, you, you know, um, President Kennedy and, you know, him, you know, the things he did, including getting behind the, the moon launch and people on the moon and, you know, these, these significant things that, you know, go down in the history books and in different generations, people are going to know names. But, you know, from heaven's perspective, when we get to heaven, there are going to be people that didn't have any fame, any notoriety, but they are going to be really big deals and really big, I think, you know, if we want to put it this way, celebrity status in heaven because they were used by God to change the world. So impact is not necessarily based on how many people know somebody's name. Impact is what God does when we live on purpose for Him, and we allow Him to work through our lives. And that's what we're going to get down to here today. So I just want to remind us one more time, we are building on, I got the heart of a world changer, I'm living a, a, a prayer life of a world changer, and now I want to hit three practical tips for changing the world. The first one is this, we need to start with ourselves. Right? When we look at seeing the world change, uh, one has to start with themselves. So number one, start with yourself. Philippians 2, 11 to 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So I want us to recognize, number one, a God has a purpose for us that he wants fulfilled. And the good news is he says it's a good purpose that he wants fulfilled through us, but there's something that we have to do in the process, and it's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
you know, what that's really saying is, you know, there's an understanding. So, so kind of from a theological standpoint, when we get born again, we recognize God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have ever everlasting life. And we say, yep, I receive that for me. I believe that. I believe Jesus is who he said he is. I recognize that I'm a, a sinner in need of salvation, and I embrace, I invite Christ to be king and Lord and Savior of my life. And the Bible tells us that God, through his Holy Spirit, dwells on the inside of us, makes us brand new, makes us born again. And then from a legal standpoint, wow, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus all done on the inside. But now our calling, right, as we walk through life is then to work out that salvation, work it out into the rest of our, uh, of our lives, and, and, and to mature is maybe another way we could put it, to grow up, to grow into the fullness of all that God wants to do in us, all that God wants to do through us for His good purpose. So when we say, hey, God wants, you know, his salvation and his hope to reach the whole world. I want to be his hands, his feet, his heart. Let's do this. We have to say, but I got to start with me. I got to start with looking in the mirror because first I have to work out salvation with fear and trembling. That means with respect and honor and great, great reverence to the Lord. Uh, the 19th century Russian novelist, Leo, uh, Leo Tolstoy, he said, everybody thinks of changing the world and nobody thinks of changing himself. Interesting, right? Isn't it so much easier to figure out what's, what's wrong with everybody else's life, right? But sometimes it can be a little bit harder for us to, you know, look at ourselves. Uh, in uh, AD 1100, an Anglo-Saxon bishop, uh, his words of wisdom were written on his tomb, which is in the crypts of Westminster Abbey. And he said this, when I was young and free, and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change uh, only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me. But alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family. From their inspiration and encouragement, I, I would have then been able to better my country. And who knows, I may have even changed the world. Man, what wisdom. You know, wisdom after, after you know, uh, 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 trying to attack it his whole life to only get to the end and say, I should have started with me. And that would have been an entirely different picture. So let's talk about this now. What does start with yourself? What does that look like? I, I want to uh, frame it in, in three thoughts. Number one, uh, if we're going to start with ourselves, we need to take responsibility for what we say and what we do. We have to resist everything that's going on in our culture now that wants to tell us it's not my fault. Unless they're talking uh, not about themselves but about somebody else, and then they'll say, it's all your fault. It's quite the, uh, you know, hypocrisy that goes on, but isn't it true? Uh, our culture has become masterful at describing why we're all victims, and because of that, we don't need to be accountable for whatever we say and whatever we do. That is entirely opposite of anything healthy, constructive, redemptive, functional, godly, biblical, wise, right? 
You know, God, on the other hand, says, no, we have to start with, we have to take responsibility. So here's the thought. You know, we, we could have been a victim of something in a situation, but we don't want to live as a victim. You know, and, and what it really comes down to is we need to take responsibility for the narrative that goes to play out of that. I know one of my mentors had said, history will be kind to me because I'm writing it. You know, the idea is, my, you know, it, it, it will be well with me because I'm not basing the narrative on what's going on around me. I'm basing the narrative on what I do and how I respond. Uh, and and that, that's really empowering as far as putting us in God's hands for God to be able to do great things in us. Uh, and, and so we need to take responsibility. And, you know, here's a thought. We're all going to stand before the Lord and give account. So our, our culture and the dysfunction in our modern society might let us away with that, but it does us well to realize ultimately the Lord's not. We're going to stand before him and we'll give an account and we'll stand without excuse. So that's a sobering thought that can encourage us in some healthy ways. Uh, then, um, so even more than taking responsibility, then we also have to live intentionally. You know, and that's not a new thought in, you know, preaching from the pulpit here, but as we look at, okay, how do I start with me? I take responsibility, and then I live with great intentionality. You know, Stephen Covey, uh, he has a book, uh, Habits of Highly Effective People. It's been a, a business classic and a personal development classic for many, many years. Uh, and he has a principle where he says, begin with the end in mind. But Stephen Covey bootlegged that from... God. That was God's thought first, you know, and, and God lets us know in his word what I just mentioned. He says, hey, every one of us, we're all going to stand before him, you know, and he lets us know that so that we can live today in light of that ultimate tomorrow that every human being on the planet we're going to have. So living in light of that, we live intentionally saying, I'll do today based on what God says about, you know, the ultimate end. You know, there, there is an eternity for every soul. There's going to be an account that we give before the Lord. Uh, and if we live in light of that, then we can make today uh, something that's lived really well for him. And how many know it's not very productive to live, live our lives looking entirely through the rearview mirror of yesterday? Right? I mean, you know, there's context we get and there's lessons we learn, but how many know it would not bode well if we drove down the parkway just looking out of the rearview mirror? You know, our future would not stay bright. On the flip side, we don't want to spend so much time focused on the future that we're not being good stewards of the only thing we have right in front of us, which is today. And here's a great thought. Enough today's lived right and tomorrow takes care of itself. You know, so, so we, you know, we start with ourselves, we take responsibility, we live with the end in mind. That means we live on mission, you know, that we understand that uh, what we looked at earlier, God's got a good purpose for us, and so we want to live in light of His good purposes. We want to seek out and explore what it is that He says in His Word, and then what are those unique things that He's put for us. We want to live our priorities, you know, we can look at priorities for a lot of different angles. God's got priorities for us, so they should be our priorities. Then we have priorities that are you know, in our family, there's seasonal priorities. We, because of our, our vocation, there's certain things that are priorities in our life. All, all kinds of things that are priority. If we live intentionally with the things that are priority, we will reduce regret in a major way. Uh, and then a, a third thought here for us on um, starting with me is uh, it does us well if we let our lives preach before our mouths preach. 
Let our life do the preaching, and then let our mouth do the preaching, right? How we live always speaks so much louder than what we say. In fact, I was trying to research this back. uh, The best I could tell this went back to something that Ralph Waldo Emerson said something that I think got morphed through the years. Kennedy used it in uh, his inauguration speech, but it's probably going to be something very familiar. Have you ever heard this expression? What you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Has anybody ever ever heard that said? So that's what we're talking about is, man, the thing that's going to be more powerful than anything we say is how we live, which is why changing the world, we want to start with, man, I got to look in the mirror. So in in Matthew chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, it says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, you know, changing the world, it doesn't mean we don't confront. It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. It means we start first with the mirror. Because if I'm walking around with a big old plank hanging out of my eye, and I'm talking about a speck of sawdust in somebody else's, man, it's, it's, gonna, it's, it's not going to land. It's not going to be fruitful. Matthew 5, verses 15 to 17 says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? So, you know, good deeds don't save us. It's, it's by faith. It's in the, the, the grace of God and the free gift of salvation. But out of that, out of this growing life, this, this growing life of a disciple, the world should see these good deeds and they shine like light to others around us and they bring inspiration and they glorify our Father in heaven. I can remember when my father first met the Lord. My father was, was always a, a good family guy, um, but, you know, his, his upbringing, he was born and raised in Patterson, uh, you know, and he had a little more of a growing up, a, hey, Pat, do I see some Patterson props there? Yeah, I see some, all right, all right. Uh, so, so he, you know, is was, was a little tougher of, uh, you know, he, he was street smart, you know, that, that kind of a thing. And when he met the Lord, man, there was such a change. There was, a, the, the, there was still the strength in him that I saw, but there was a, a softness uh, of the Lord that was there. There became a hunger. I remember, uh, see, for some of our younger folks today, we used to have these things called Walkman, and we would put these things called cassettes in there, and we would close it, and we would play them, and you could listen to things. And he he would sit and he, would, and he was not an academic guy at all and he'd sit there with his Walkman and he'd listen to the Bible and he was writing these note cards and he would highlight them and everything and it was just so inspiring seeing uh, just how it was affecting the way he lived his life, you know? And then it started to translate into these deeds and these actions and how he related to others around him that it glorified, it glorified God. So, you know, we, we've probably heard this one before too. So we preach the gospel always. And when necessary, we use words. You know, that's what we're talking about, letting it be that our life shows. And, and, you know, I think this is what we're seeing here in Acts 2, verses 46 and 47. 
It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they're going to church, then they're, I guess we would say, then they're going to growth groups, they're meeting from house to house, they're just loving God, they're going after God, and, and, and uh, life is being transformed by what's happening. I mean, there's miracles happening, and, 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 and people are coming alive in Christ. And it says in verse 47, uh, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You know, so that's not to say that there won't be times of persecution, that there won't be difficulties for standing up for Christ. But when the world sees our lives being louder than our words and our lives matching our words, there are going to be so many people who look and and it's going to mean favor. Favor with the people means, gee, I'm curious, what is this God thing all about? Because one thing I know for sure, your life is different and you're making an impact and the world's a better place because you're here. Amen? World changers. We want to live as world changers. It all starts with us. All right, so our second point here, not only does it begin with us, but then we have to make sure that we carry a clear vision. And vision is so important for staying the course. You know, a lot of times vision translates to the why behind what we do. So the why behind what we do will always fuel us. Like, for instance, we can, if we're not careful, we can lose vision. And when we're in the things of God for a while and, you know, interacting with the world and, you know, just, just doing life, we can sort of look at key Christian habits and lose sight of vision for them. You know, like in other words, you know, where the word says, you know, that we're to be in the Bible, that we're to be people of prayer, that we're to share our faith, right? If we're not careful, that those can turn into sort of like to-dos that Christians are supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, no, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, but I don't like to read, I don't have time, I don't get it, blah, 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 this, that, you know. But if we hold on to vision that it's the living Word of God, and that when it comes into me, that that is literally what builds and grows my faith when I'm feeding on the Word of God. Not only that, but my intimacy with the Lord is growing because now I'm knowing who He is and I'm knowing His precepts. And He even tells me as I'm meditating and chewing on His Word that I will know how to live and that I'll have good success. Man, all we have to do is watch some of the celebrity, uh, you, you know, uh, stories and documentaries out there. How many know there's bad success and there's good success? There's success that costs all the wrong things and there's success that adds no pain or sorrow. You know, so we carry a vision like that and it's like, man, of course I'm going to be in the Word of God. I, I want good success. You know, I, I want to know God. I, I want my, my faith to be strong. But if we lose sight of that, then all of a sudden we let go of it. Why is the sin of prayerlessness so rampant in the body of Christ? Because we lose a vision for the fact that God said he will move through believing prayer. That the major vehicle that God uses to advance his kingdom on the earth is through the prayers of the saints. And so we look at the work of reading the word and, and figuring out what it means and owning it and working it out in our lives. We look at the work of prayer and we can keep pressing into that because we have a vision for what it's doing. You know, and then like I said, same thing for like sharing our faith. You know, when we recognize the reality of life as, as it is truly from God's perspective, eternity is in the balance, you know? Ultimately, every person is an eternal soul and is going to spend their eternity with the Lord or away from the Lord. 
And we live in light of that, and that's going to fuel our heart for the lost. It's going to fuel our courage to share our faith when maybe we don't want to be rejected, or we don't want to look foolish, or we're not sure how they're going to respond. You know, so you get what I'm talking about here? Keeping faith stirred up holding on to vision for our lives is going to keep us trekking forward. Now, think about David when he went before Goliath, right? He's bringing lunch to the armies of Israel. The armies of Israel and and Saul, their king, had lost vision. The Philistines were gathered, you know, on the other side of the, the valley there, you know, just speaking torments to the people of Israel. But God said, you're my covenant people. And I want to show the world what I'm like through you, and you're going you're gonna to show me to the world. And, and the entire army let fear get the best of them, and they lost sight of vision. But you know, David didn't. David was willing to go up and say, the king might not get it, the armies might not get it, but I get it. I have to win because God is looking to show the world who he is through his people. And so he had a vision where he was able to see all of this negative stuff, including the giant mocking him and all this, and he was, he was able to bring great victory that day because he just held on to a vision. We could see it with Nehemiah as well. In, in the book of Nehemiah, we read about him praying about the, the broken state. You know, he, he comes to find out from, you know, the report that comes back, the walls are broken down in Jerusalem, and, you know, the state of the city is terrible, and, 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 and Nehemiah is broken because he has a vision and a picture for what God said about his people and that he would restore his people and bring them back. And so he cries out to God, and he prays that vision through, and God uses Nehemiah has, has the empire of the time foot the bill for putting the walls back together. But church, every step of the way, there is harassment, there is challenge, there is hassle. Hey, can I ask a question? Is there anybody trying to do God's will in here? And it seems like you are harassed at every turn. You're in good company with Nehemiah there, you know, but it got to the point where they had to have their, their building instrument, their trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand, and they, they had to have watch against attacks from the enemy, but they held on to the vision and got the walls rebuilt, uh, and, and, and that, that steadfastness, that perseverance was because they had this, this vision. They knew the why. They knew what God wanted to do behind it, and so I would challenge us today. The more wise that you have answered, the easier it's going to be. Actually, it's not, there's nothing easy about it. Let me, let me rephrase that. The more wise you have answered, the harder it's going to be to quit. That's a better way to put it. The more and more we understand what God is doing, uh, what his promises are, what's going on behind the scenes, that is going to keep a vision burning for us, you know? So we have the vision that's in the Word of God on how to live as believers and some big picture things, like he tells us all about the end times and and what these times are going to look like. But how about vision for your own personal life? You know, uh, we can seek God knowing he's got a good purpose and ask him, so Lord, what is it that, that, that you want to capture my heart, that you've uniquely wired me for? You know, let, let's think about the disciples in the Great Commission. You know, at first, they, they didn't get it. They didn't have the vision. It wasn't clear when Jesus was arrested and crucified and they all scattered. 
But after he rose from the dead and he met with them all, they got the picture. They got the vision. And Jesus said, yep, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And not only did they all carry the vision, every one of them, except for John, gave their lives courageously as martyrs for the Lord. Every one of them paid ultimately with their life. They never let go of the vision once they had that clear picture of what God was wanting to do and where he was going. Come on, can you say amen? So, hey, I would just challenge us today. So, first thought, have we started with ourselves? Are we looking in the mirror? Are we letting God work in us? And are we working out our salvation? And then second thought here, do we carry God's compelling vision for our lives and for what he's doing in our generation? It's hard to stay impactful when we lose vision. Proverbs 29.11 says, where the, this is in the NIV, where there is no revelation people cast off restraint. You know, what kind, what, what kind of restraint? Restraint to keep doing the right thing. Restraint to keep not doing the wrong thing. You know, no revelation, no understanding. In the Amplified, it says, where there is no vision, that is, no revelation of God and His Word, the people are unrestrained. Then in the King James, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know, so in each of those translations we get, how many know, by the way, the reason why we look at some of these different translations is, how many know your New Testament is written in Greek? You know, and, and um, apples for apples, Greek and English don't match perfectly. You know, so that's why, you know, I know sometimes people ask, well, what translation do you use? And, you know, and that, you know, uh, that's why sometimes we'll use several translations because there are nuances in a word in the Greek that just one English word doesn't capture. You know, so this is a perf perfect example uh, where there is no revelation of God, where there is no revelation of his word, where there is no vision. People are unrestrained. They cast off restraint and they perish. That, that's the, kind of like the full counsel of what the Lord is trying to get across to us. All right, tracking so far, amen? All right, let's look at the last one in our field guide for changing the world is we need to take action. So pretty simple thoughts here. Start with ourselves, carry a clear vision, and take action. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So again, the word is all about be a doer, be a doer, be a doer. It's great to hear, it's great to learn, it's great to know, uh, but it's another thing to actually make application and have it worked out in our lives. Uh, so what are some ways that we can take action? We're going to uh, sort of start to come in for a landing here uh, on this last thought here. So for, first thing for taking action, we can just bloom where we're planted, you might, you might go back to point number two and say, all right, vision. I, I, don't, I don't even know where to start with a vision for my life. What would that look like? How would I seek God for that? Why not start with just blooming where you're planted? In other words, what you do is you kind of look up, you know, what, what's going on around me? Who, who has God put in my life? You know, okay, my family, uh, you, you know, the people I work with, folks at my church. You know, sometimes we'll see a need, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll think, well, I should fast and pray and I need an angelic visitation before I say yes, you know, and it might just simply be, hey, I'll fill the need or I'll go until God says stop. Now, a caution there, you, you don't want to overcrowd your life and we, you don't want to be need driven if you respond to every need you see right? It can be pretty crushing. But what I'm saying is if it's in our power, I could do that. I'll step out and I'll do that. 
watch God unfold his purposes through your life. I remember uh, David Wilkerson, before he went to uh, New York City, found the Teen Challenge and, and all the great ministry that came through him. He's a Kansas boy. And he just said, I, I want to I be a part of bringing God, God's love and hope, the hope in Christ to the world. Where is their need? I know, New York City. There's a lot of hurting people in New York City. I'll go there. Now, now, you might say, well, hey, if that wasn't God's will, God would have definitely let him know. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But what I'm saying is let's not make the idea of God's calling and doing God's will so mystical that we're paralyzed and we don't step out and do something when it's perfectly in our hands to do it, right? So uh, blooming where we're planted. And here's the thing. Everything can be ministry. Uh, Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Can can we just stop for a minute here? How different would life be if before we said everything that came out of our face, we say, and I say this in the name of the Lord. What a filter that would be. Or things that we do, you know, spiteful things and just, you know, whatever. How much would would that be a filter? Colossians 3.23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. So that means everything that we do becomes sacred. You know, the chores in our home, if they're done unto the Lord, that's sacred work. Taking out the garbage can be ministry as we do it as unto the Lord, right? Not taking shortcuts, not, not dragging our feet and have a crummy attitude, right? Serving one another. There's all these things that God will do. And then um, we need to recognize the power of stewardship uh, as we look at doing. In other words, stewardship is just saying, all right, so... I'll bloom where I'm planted. This is what God has given me. Lord, I take what you've given me and I put it back in your hands. Some of you, God's given you a smile and he's just anointed your smile. Some of you, he's given you beautiful ears and and you listen. And there's nothing more validating and encouraging than to be listened to. Can you say amen? Some of you, God has given you a gift of compassion And it's caused you to have a heart for folks in a way that maybe many other folks. These are just things that God knit and wired into you. And when we say, Lord, take the loaves and the fishes and and, and anoint them, he'll put his super on your natural. You know, in first service, I was reminded, I remember a story. It was a real life story of a a kid coming home from school. uh, and, And he just had this real, like, just like a ton of books. And there was, there was a, a kid with him, a believer, who just, he had compassion. And he let God touch his compassion for this kid. And he said, hey, let me help you. Let me carry some of those. And he helped him carry them home. And he struck a friendship with him. And they wound up just uh, continuing on in their friendship. Uh, this was like in, in later junior high years. Fast forward to graduation day in high school, and they maintained friendship. And now the kid who was carrying his books home is speaking. Uh, I can't remember now if he was valedictorian or, or whatever, but he was, he was sharing at the graduation. And he was able to point over to this young man, and he said, I never told you, but you literally saved my life. I, I cleared out my locker because I was going to take my life over this weekend. And I didn't want my parents to have to go back and have the pain of emptying my locker. And, and you were literally a lifeline. You saved my life. We'll never know sometimes what God will do through uh, a, a, a compassion, a kind word, forgiveness, some mercy, uh, an act of service, a, 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 a sincere smile, uh, what his super on our natural might do. It just might be a lifeline to somebody. Can you say amen? 
All right, we're, we're going to wrap up. The last thing I would say uh, in, in bloom where we're planted and, and taking action, I think this is just a good stewardship thing. God has placed gifts inside every one of us. You're good at stuff. Look at your neighbor and say, you're good at stuff. So the thing is, is to explore and discover and find out the stuff you're good at. And then you want to know what? Get great at the stuff you're good at. Right? It says it this way in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. You know, so we've all seen it on American Idol, that blessed, precious person who wants their gift to be singing, but it ain't. And the whole world figured it out, but them. Yeah, oh, you know, we feel, I always feel, oh, somebody tell them, somebody, why didn't they tell them all these years, you know? But, but that shouldn't be a travesty for that person. It shouldn't be, no, I've got to be attached to something, whether or not God's gifted me there. It's, hey, let me find out where God has gifted me and then move in that area. And then God will continue to promote and glorify himself through the influence that comes out of that. We do it as unto the Lord, and then he gets the glory in that. Can you say Amen. So God wants to change the world through us. Uh, he he uh, wants us to start in the mirror. He wants to work in intensely practical ways. And God is still mystical and awesome and supernatural. And there are miracles and the gifts and flowing of the Spirit and all of that. But we need to have as a foundation underneath that. Because how many know there are people who have tried to change the world, but because they didn't look in the mirror it became more of a train wreck because of the crash and burn that happened in their life because they didn't work on starting in the mirror first, inside the church and outside the church. So we build these kinds of foundations and then God can get the full glory of that good purpose that he has preordained for every one of our lives. So how many would just say this morning in a fresh way, God, let the adventure begin. Right? Amen? Amen? Praise you, Lord. So, Father, oh, we glorify you. And as we close the service today, we just say afresh and anew, we're yours. And, and Lord, let us be equipped by these things that we, we looked at here this morning. Lord, that we would start with ourselves. Lord, we invite you, help us to grab a hold of your vision for our lives. And Lord, help us to be people of action that'll bloom where we're planted. Lord, that will uh, serve in all we do as ministry unto you. So I thank you, God, for the work you're doing. Lord, I thank you for what's to come in the days to come. And we just give you all the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.